You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Today's message is this, in Christ, we are all fishermen. In Christ, we're all fishermen. Claude, I'm going to ask you if you could just clear the screen so people can see online. And as we look to John chapter 4, let me ask you this question. How many fishermen do we have in the house? Yeah, we got a few. Jim and... Awesome. I got to tell you, I am not a fisherman. That is not something that I do. Um, So I had to go on to Google and I had to research, you know, the ins and the outs of fishing. And as I looked this up and checked out this, what appears to be an acquired skill, if I can even say it that way, there's various means and techniques are employed in catching all kinds of fish. Am I off? Okay. (laughs) When you look, there's the right tool, right? The right fishing pole, the right apparatuses. Maybe you have a boat and all the different means that get you out on the open water. But then you need the proper bait. Perhaps you need some refreshments to keep you hydrated and, and ready to be patient to catch those fish. So you have patience and determination involved in this Process And some even claim, as I continued the research, is the cast matters. The cast really matters. Maybe you're a diehard fisherman here today and you'd say, I don't know about the cast, but definitely the bait is important. But if the cast matters, if that's something that's important for catching fish in the open water, perhaps this is something similar that we can glean and apply as we look to Scripture for ourselves and being fishermen and women in Christ. That we can rewind, if will, we can cast the approach in how we go fishing. Being innovative, being relational, and those kind of things. And I hope for today, there's two values that we haven't covered as of yet. One of them was being innovative, being open to employing creative ideas to reach people in our changing culture. We don't have to ask too many people to get the answer, yes, culture is changing. It's becoming more difficult in a very pluralistic nation and world altogether. And so essentially at the end of the day, it's so important that we're innovative while being relational with the undying love that we have in Christ as we cast, as we go fishing. When Jesus began his ministry, when he spoke with Andrew and Peter, he says this, follow me. And I will make you fishermen of people. You will catch fish. He says in Matthew 14, verse 17, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
It involves using the right baits. It involves being innovative. But most importantly, as we're singing the song today, Brad mentioned, I'm so glad you did, that we have the favor of Christ with us. Where would we be without that favor? Where would we be with that overflowing grace in our life as we cast and as we go fishing? The Apostle Paul said this, Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also the Greek. Do you consider yourself here today to be a fisherman, a fisherwoman? Would you say that of yourself? Jesus said, I I came into the world not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. In Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. And as we looked at last week and the weeks before, before Jesus left this earth, he says, I'm sending you, go into the world and make disciples. Baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I've taught you. So essentially, what are you doing? You're going fishing. We're going fishing. And so as we look to John chapter 4, let's read this together. In verse 1, it says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon." A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because the disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't go thirsty and come here to draw water. So here we see in John chapter 4, a lot is happening. Jesus has come into interaction with a Samaritan Woman. So right away we can see that Jesus is transcending culture and social barriers of the time because as you look in scripture, it's not hard to see that Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were even hated. There was a very tangible animosity, if you will. And where did this come from? Right away the, the woman notices, like, why are you speaking with me? I'm a Samaritan. 
At this point, this well has already been in existence for 1,800 years. But this woman comes from a people group who are the result of what you could call half-breeds or not pure-bloods. Where when the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians had dispelled the tribes, the two tribes, uh, Ephraim and Messene, that were there and expelled them and replaced them with people from foreign lands. And you can imagine, as they settled in these places, what happens? Intermingling and intermarriage uh, became... Even God said in Deuteronomy through chapters 11 through 12, don't intermarry with other people. And yet this happened and this occurred. And God put a warning because he knew people's hearts and he knew where people were coming from and the gods, the false gods that they had worshipped. And yet they, there was intermarriage and children were born and so rightfully so the Jews despised the Samaritans. They were considered traitors. They were those who believed and claimed to be adherents of the law of Moses, yet it was like a buffet. They would take the things that they enjoyed and mix it with their other religions, the worship of Baal and other false gods. And so Jesus being a Jew coming from that flock, that fold, if you will, he would have in many respects every right to dismiss her. But we know Jesus said that his nourishment later in the chapter comes from doing the will of the Father who sent him to seek and save the lost. And so he comes to the well. We already see here, right at the beginning of the story, that Jesus is tired. It's about noon. He's probably been traveling since day had broke. It's about the 10-kilometer journey from Israel or Jerusalem to this well. It's midday. It's hot. And so he's there, as the scripture says. He's worn out. He sits down at the well, and he sees this woman coming to draw water, and he says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Now, just to help you understand how big of a deal this is, the Jews and Samaritans despised each other so much, Claudia, that at one point, a Jewish king, which the records, I went searching, which Jewish king put out this decree, but one of the kings said that they needed to lay siege to the temple of the Samarian people. And so they laid siege to, and all that were left were ruins on Mount Gerizim that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 11. And so they destroyed the place where they worshiped God. And even in more spite of the Samaritans, the Jews, as they built their synagogues, this is, just blows my mind, they even would comprehend doing this. When they established their synagogues, they built it in such a way that when the Jews would worship, their backs would permanently be to the Samaritan people. Just in spite. Social, uh, social barriers, sorry, were established. These divisions were in place. And so for Jesus, just to say, just to address this woman, he's already going against the cultural grain. And so he interacts with her and he asks her for a drink. For very practical reasons, he's thirsty, but we know this side of history that he had a deeper, greater purpose for speaking with this woman. 
And as we continue this story, I believe today, as we, as we glean the insight from this passage, this story, this interaction, Jesus is showing us how to go fishing in today's context, how to go fishing in today's social barriers, how to fish and pro- appropriately transcend culture without affirming culture. This is one of the questions that I always get. How can I speak truth without affirming? I believe Jesus shows us how to do this. And so point number one, as we continue on, it's important for us to grasp this. The river of the living water is for all to partake. The living water is for all people, all who look to Jesus. The Jews had established and ingrained it in stone, and you can understand why, where it came from, but for the sake of time, they didn't want to share the well of living water. But Jesus said this in John 7, 37. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in him, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. The scripture said, he said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been glorified. Even the point of how great and wonderful this is going to be, John the Baptist spoke of Christ in this manner. He said, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on Christ. He sent me to baptize with water, but the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So it's so much more than a natural water that meets our physical, practical needs. It's so much deeper. It's so much more wonderful. And he goes on in verse 14 and says, everyone who drinks from this water will never be thirsty again. Do you think that caught her attention? Whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. Have you ever experienced something like that? Partaking of water or anything, whether it's actual water or maybe one of your favorite beverages, has it completely and totally satisfied? You're left wanting, you're left wanting more. It never fully fulfills. But here Jesus is saying, anyone who comes to me will never thirst again. And so this well, as I've already said, it's been established for 1,800 years by Jacob, the grandson of of Abraham. Remember when God spoke to Abraham, you will be a father of many descendants, a great nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now here at Jacob's well, in whom was an heir of the promise, in comes Christ, a Jew, fulfilling all the prophetic promises, is now speaking to the Samaritan woman, truly saying, all who believe in me will never thirst again that all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. You see how this is all coming together at this crossroads in a little town of Sakar. And so he engages in this conversation with this woman. She says in verse 15, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Jesus is showing us how to go fishing. And anyone here who's actually caught fish, I can say I've never actually caught any. (laughs) You have to go where the fish are. You have to go where the fish are. When Jesus says, go into the world, make disciples, it's one thing to talk about it. It's completely, entirely another thing to actually do it. 
Go fish. Jesus is showing us here that he's casting very strategically, but he's casting with this undying love for his people. He knows her story. He's operating in the prophetic. He's even operating in a word of knowledge, which we'll get to in a second. But as we look at this very practically, my goal here today is that you would walk away with practical next steps. And so you have to go where the fish are. On top of that, you have to be willing to put yourself out there because when you go fishing, it can be awkward. It can even be embarrassing, especially when Jim Beamish is beside you fishing and he's a professional. He knows what he's doing. And you're thinking, my goodness, look all the fish he's catching. Hope you don't mind me saying that, Jim. I see your pictures on Facebook. You got a wonderful boat and you're, you're, man, you're a pro. In the practical sense, I would be completely lost. Probably looking over and measuring myself up thinking, I just don't measure up to you, Jim. In many ways, we can feel like this with our faith. We can feel like I'm not Billy Graham. Maybe you're not, you know, um, Joyce Myers or any of the, the big names out there. But the end of the day, Jesus is telling us that doesn't matter. Last time I checked at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I'm with you. Hey, Sue, would you go into the world and make disciples? And by the way, I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm with you, and I'm with you, and I'm with you. I'm with all of you. Anyone who believes in me, out of you will full living water. This just, this caught me like a wind in a sail. And I thought, how wonderful is that? Even in all my missteps and all the miscalculations, he never fails. But you have to put yourself out there. I believe he's showing us here. Remember, he was tired midday. It's hot. Like the sun coming through this window. Poor Brad here is leading worship, striking the keys. The sun is just beaming in. It's uncomfortable. When we're sharing our faith, it can be downright uncomfortable. Here Jesus is showing us he was tired. It wasn't even convenient but he was showing us the spiritual growth, the spiritual maturity, I believe, necessary to go fishing. Here he shows us his humanity. He shows us he's flesh and blood, just like us. On a hot day, Jesus got tired. On a hot day, guess what? Jesus became thirsty. It's like the shows on television, those popular shows, people think, do people even eat and sleep on our favorite shows? On the show 24, they actually had to write into the script for Jack Bauer to take naps. We can relate with him now when you look at Hebrews when it says, we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us. Jesus got tired. We get sleepy. And here he comes in the midst of his tiredness, in the midst of maybe even an inconvenience. Here this infamous woman comes to the well. Now why is she there? You ever wondered about that part? Why did she come to that well? In searching, scholars will show that there were more than likely many other wells that she could have gone to. So let's pull this into today's modern context. She's going to the next town to fetch water because everyone knows her business. How many people, when you live in a town, you actually shop in your town? Growing up in Waterford, not because tr- we're trying to hide from anybody, majority of the time we would do our shopping and business in Simcoe. This woman's no different, but this in- the interesting thing with her story is that everyone knew her business. 
they knew as Jesus talks to her and he says, go call your husband. And she says to him, I don't have a husband. So there's this interaction that occurs and he says, you're right for you've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. She's wanting too many respects, and we're reading into this, to exist under the radar. She knows what's going on. Remember, she's a Samaritan woman. She's not devoid of knowledge of the law of Moses. She knows what's appropriate for her. In fact, Samarians, nonetheless, with all the animosity and social barriers, they were not less strict in the observance, like their contemporaries in the Jews. However, there was that intermixing happening. But they would have known quite, quite assuredly they probably were casting her aside. And so she felt like an exile. And then here's Jesus at maybe her breaking point. She's traveling midday in the heat of the day to fetch water. When's the last time you went walking out on a hot summer day for many kilometers to get water? But then there's Jesus showing us in the midst of his tiredness, he didn't allow that to dictate his purpose. He started to engage in conversation with her, this woman who was excluded so that he could show to her and truly proclaim as he proclaimed in the synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news, good news to the poor, the oppressed, and the prisoners. Here's a person who's more than likely poor in spirit because of what she's gone through. And Jesus is here to talk with her and offer her a living water she knows not of. And guess what? It's an endless supply. You'll never thirst again. If you were sitting there, just imagine you came to the well and you saw Jesus, as amazing as that would be. And he said to you, what I have for you is unlike anything you've ever experienced. A living water that when you partake, you'll never be thirsty again. Man, you would jettison all the Coca-Cola in the world. I want that water. And in verse 15, it says, Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. And they have a further exchange. So at one point it says that she left her bucket entirely and went back to her hometown signifying that she was exchanging what she had had. What she had came them for was exchanged what Jesus had to offer, completely life-changing and life-transforming. And so we need to fish. We need to go where the people are and make ourselves available. Jesus, again, he's tired and he's made himself available to her. And as I was working on these notes for the message today, I had to put it in big capital letters, make yourself available. How many times you go into the marketplace or whatever you want to call it, and we, we get in a hurry, and we all can look back and see, you know what, that was a missed opportunity. And it's not about causing guilt or condemnation by any means to say, oh man, and kick yourself in the rear, but more so just realizing there's so much opportunity there's many people like the woman in the story searching and desiring the life that you have in Christ. But there is one thing as a pastor that I've heard quite a bit. It's this. I'm not an evangelist. I can't believe how many times even pastors, teachers, 
Even people who engage in the prophetic will say, I'm not an evangelist. You know, I don't have the grace of the Lord to do that. Now, mind you, there is something to be said about a special anointing with, with words like Billy Graham and others. But at the end of the day, if Jesus, if his mission wasn't for all of us, he wouldn't have said, I'm with you. Look at the Peter devote follower of Jesus said, the one who cowered in his boots when people ask, Are you, were you with Christ? Weren't you one of his number? He cowered and betrayed Christ. And later on, he writes in a letter after Jesus had restored him. And he writes this, But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that is in you. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. When it's inconvenient, when you're exhausted, take advantage of the opportunity. Because he writes and tells the people in Ephesus this, in Ephesus 5.16, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And so Jesus knows what was going to happen. He knows eventually the temple in Jerusalem would even be destroyed. It would be ransacked. But he says later on in the passage, he says, woman, in verse 21, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. In verse 23 it says, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and the truth. The beautiful piece here is that God doesn't dwell in shrines and temples made in men, but he dwells in all who believe in him. It's not on Mount Gerizim. It's not even in the temple in Jerusalem. We're all fishermen. How many here want others, people like the woman at the well, to experience that living water? He goes on and says in verse 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He tells to his, says this to his followers, don't you say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields because they're ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Think about this amazing picture, that when you take the opportunity, as minimal as it may be, it reaps dividends. You are planting a seed. Another person's going to come along and water that seed, and God is going to give the growth to the point here that Jesus and this even Sumerian woman are planting seeds in the next town over through her story. Look what happens after interaction. She says she left, uh, leaves her bucket, goes to her town and says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. So because Jesus was ready to listen, he went where the fish are, so to speak. He heard her story. He engaged in conversation. He was ready to hear her out. He offered life-giving truth. And this led to her leaving the bucket, 
leaving in many respects her old life behind to go and say, come and hear the man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And then what happens? It says here in verse 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And he told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. At the end of the day, because Jesus made himself available, he heard her out, he cast the bait, the word of truth. She ingested this life-transforming message and shared it with the people in her town, but they then ingested it, went and saw Jesus, heard from themselves, and this ripple effect, the sowing and reaping harvest became. And it began. Could this happen here? Could this happen in Waterford? Could it happen in Norfolk? Absolutely. Just as simple as going down to the trails, walking along, maybe even seeing very, very practically someone fishing. I see you like fishing. Have you caught anything lately? Have, you know, a good conversation. But let me tell you about the greatest fisherman who ever lived. <laughs> There's always opportunity. And there's been times, you know, I shared a great story when I was in Canadian Tire one day and taking advantage of the opportunity, even though it was a little bit inconvenient, but there's been times where I haven't. In this world, Jesus is showing us through this letter written by John how to be present and how to fish. He wasn't an isolationist. He was, he was in actively engaging people, casting truth, not being deceived by contrary voices. And most assuredly, he did not affirm the woman in her choices. But notice, he didn't make her feel overwhelmed with excess guilt. There's a difference. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly, you have answered correctly, he said. For you've had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And he goes on. And what you have to appreciate as we close, Jesus acknowledged that she was deflecting. I believe here, John is showing us she tried to deflect. Wait, oh, and turn it to a theological matter. Well, Lord, uh, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but is it supposed to be in Jerusalem? But he didn't get sidetracked by what was happening. He was drawing her out. He was engaging her in truth and very gently and lovingly kept it on point in acknowledging those who truly, if you want to worship the Father, you need to worship him in spirit and truth, which means God is not bound, as we said, with temples and shrines made of men. He dwells in the spirit. He dwells within us. 
but we need to worship him in truth, worship in the truth of what he's called us to, the life that he's called us to, this life-giving water in him. And so we get rid of the, the sludge, we get rid of the muck and the things that we partake of this world, the things that can never satisfy for the things that are eternal. And this is something that I wish I would say if I could, I had a time machine, Aaron, if I had one, I'd go back to my younger self, not saying I was this disobedient, crazy, wayward dude, but I would still go back and say, Andrew, this is what matters. This is where you need to find your worth. This is the life-giving water. What Jesus is talking about, you need to give your life to this. Because when you do it, all the things of the world will pass away and you'll only want what he has to offer. You won't be wasting time, wasting energy on things that don't matter. At the end of the day, today's Super Bowl Sunday, but it doesn't matter. As fun and as glorious and as great as it is, this is the greatest championship right here that when you take the time to witness and testify to someone, when they come to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. That's greater than any stinking touchdown we could ever see on the face of this earth. And so I say to you this afternoon, be resolved to cast your line. No matter what's going on to your left and to your right, even what you've experienced, you know that God, as Brad said, the favor of the Lord is with you. And with that, you can cast with all assuredness that when you cast it, you're planting the seed, the bait is launched. He's then gonna water it with others that come alongside along the way, and he's gonna give the growth. And so I invite you to say, Lord, enable me to not believe it's an inconvenience. But when I'm tired, would you give me strength to engage in conversation? When it's awkward, would you give me the words to speak? Because time is short. Help me to make the most of every opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me and you're giving me favor to go into this world. Believing, trusting, knowing that there will be those who will long and partake of that living water. Be resolved to cast. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this very practical application, this life story of how you blaze a trail for us to follow after you with our very life. You showed us how to transcend culture and the, the barriers that we so easily establish with tradition. But Lord, as we're focused on your truth and the power of your gospel, we can jettison all the things that don't matter and make the time, make the effort to cast the truth of who you are, the hope that we've received, that living water, and share with all that we have the opportunity to do so. I thank you, Lord, for each person that's here today. I thank you, Lord, that they're not here by accident. And those watching also, Lord, I thank you that you have deposited within each person here today the enablement, your divine favor to go into the world engaging in the prophetic and words of knowledge and gifts of healing and, and speaking in all different types of gifts and activities. 
Or would you help us even when it's like a hot day, when we don't feel like doing anything, that you will stir us and motivate us to fulfill the great commission that you have given each one of us. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you that in you, we are all fishermen. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Just take this time just to thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.